CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Podcast, Evan Lazar alongside me as always, 98.5's Alex Barth. We're going to sit here for about an hour with you guys and break down Patriots Washington from last night, as you can see. 22 to 13 victory for the Patriots, but obviously in these preseason games, Alex, it's not really too much about the final score. It's, it's always fun to get the win, but it's not necessarily about the final score. It's sort of about the process over the results here. And I thought last night, all things considered, this was a pretty chalk game for the Patriots. I, I sort of feel like the players played when we expected them to play, where they we expected them to play, outside of maybe some exceptions on the defensive line, which we're going to get to here in a bit. But for the most part, it was kind of a chalk game for Bill Belichick and the Patriots, and we didn't get too many curveballs like, you know, Mac Jones obviously didn't start over Cam Newton or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, right? A wide receiver playing over Jacoby Myers or something crazy like that. Right, yeah, no, I would like to point out I absolutely nailed the quarterback situation when we I, were on. Write yourself on, on the back, go ahead. What was it, on Tuesday that we were on, or were we on Wednesday, that it would be Cam Newton for a series or two, Mac Jones from the end of the first through midway through the third, and then Hoyer? That's exactly what we saw. I think that that was the right usage. I would have liked to see Mac Jones a little bit more with the presumptive starters, but ultimately, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, normally you walk away from this game, this first preseason game, and you're talking about, well, okay, this stood out because this, that stood out because that, like you said, there's some minor stuff on the D in the defensive front. Besides that, I don't know that there was anything that jumped out as like, okay, I need to totally readjust my expectations because this happened. I, I thought that was a little bit different, honestly. Usually with Bill Belichick, we get a few more curveballs. Maybe he's showing us something out of training camp that's really kind of look over here, but we're actually looking over there as a coaching staff. Maybe that's the case with a thing like Akeem Spence versus Henry Anderson, right? The team obviously starting Akeem Spence yesterday. I have some theories as to why Akeem Spence started and played so much in the beginning of the game that we can get to, but we got to start with the quarterbacks. And before we get into Mac Jones, which is really the meat of this discussion, was there anything at all that you took away uh, one way or another in a major way from Cam Newton's seven passes last night? Because I sort of throw out that, that game last night for Cam and kind of say, I'm going to lean on the two training, two weeks of training camp lean on his experience and what we've seen throughout his career. And I don't really put much stock into anything we saw out of Cam last night. Yeah, he had one nice throw to Jacoby Myers. I thought the ball placement, that's not quite a throw he was making last year. He had uh, another throw on the screen pass to James White where they were just out of sync. James White said after the game that that, that was Chase Young kind of blowing up the play, as Chase Young tends to do, as we saw right. last night. He's quite the player. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm higher or lower on Cam Newton today. And that's not a bad thing. That's just you don't have enough of a sample size to make any judgment. And I don't want to force one. So here we are. I'm glad you brought up the Chase Young sack because Chase Young was an absolute maniac last night. Yeah, even real deal. The game. My gosh, is that guy fantastic. And the play that Cam Newton got sacked, 
he was able to start his throwing motion and get it ruled incomplete. So it wasn't technically a sack. It's a quarterback hit for Chase Young. That that play, there's nothing the quarterback can do, right? That's just a great individual rush, a great individual effort by Chase Young. Beats Isaiah when clean, basically within seconds of the ball being snapped. There's really nothing that quarterback can do there. So I don't think either one of us necessarily came away from this game with any major takeaways about Cam Newton, but I'm certain that we both came away with some takeaways about Mac Jones, who threw 19 passes. He completed 13 of them, only one completion of over 10 yards in the air. But even though he didn't necessarily put on a show in terms of the deep ball, he could have had the one to Christian Wilkerson, I suppose, or even the one to Gunner later in the game that might have changed that narrative just a little bit it still felt like a huge step in the rat in the right direction from mac because he felt in control in command understood what he was trying to do i thought in particular his pre-snap sort of cadences and ability to control the game at the line of scrimmage came to play as well so a very professional poised light performance out of mac jones even if he didn't necessarily light up the statue yeah absolutely i thought he was I'm not ready to say he should start week one. I Again, I, I've said this before. I don't think he can do everything he needs to do before week one in order to be ready to be the starter in their eyes. But he looked apart last night. And, yeah, he was taken in the first round. You, he, he was a Heisman finalist. He was a national champion. You expect him to be good. But, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Drafting a guy, drafting a quarterback in the first round doesn't mean he's going to be an NFL quarterback. We've seen that right. time and time Especially again. Especially in that range, right? The, right. the 10 to 20 yeah. range is sometimes hit or miss. So, it, you know, I, I think what he needed to do at the very least last night was come out and look the part. Come out and look like an NFL quarterback, and that's what he did. Again, I'm not ready to say he should start week one, but if you want to take away from last night in regards to Mac Jones, he's not ready to be the starter week one. But in terms of him being ready for them to make that change, he looks like a guy who will be ready sooner rather than later. I think that's that's the phrase I kept coming back to. Sooner rather than later. That's how I feel about Mac Jones now because I brought it up before, right? He's going to have that checklist and he has to check off whatever it is, 100, 150 things on the checklist before he's ready to start. He looks like he's a lot further through that checklist than maybe we expected after a couple of weeks of practice. So it's him saying him he's not ready to start week one is not a bad thing. He's a lot further along than you'd expect a guy of his background, a guy who really only started for a year in college. He's a lot further along than you'd expect him to be. And that means he's making progress. And that's encouraging. I've been saying sooner rather than later since minicamp. I I just, the way that Mac Jones controls the offense, the pace in which the offense plays when Mac Jones is on the field, the way that they can open up the playbook, especially in the passing game when Mac Jones is playing, I thought that was the most telling part of all of it. And everybody's going to sit down, sit here and say, he averaged four and a half yards per attempt. He threw for what was it, 89 yards on 19 attempts. What, what are we talking about? You're getting crazy over 89 yards against second stringers in a preseason game, yada, yada, yada. But we talked about right off the top of the show, I mentioned the final score of the game, and I said this is about process, not results this time of year. And Mac Jones's process every single time the offense is extremely clean, right? It's efficient. It runs the way that it's supposed to run. It looks the way that it's supposed to look. And when you saw him get into the game, 
they opened up the Mac package. They really did, right? They came out right. and they ran the offense with pace. Uh, they spread the field some more. Shotgun looks, empty formation looks, uh, a couple RPOs mixed in there. The under center play action, the throw to Kendrick Bourne that I think was probably his best completion of the night, right? You look at all these sort of plays and you look at what Josh McDaniels put up there in terms of a passing script for Mac Jones and you definitely see that coming to fruition. You see the plan coming to fruition and you see what Mac, what McDaniels and Mac have sort of been working on and maybe even more so working on when we're not around because out at training camp, Mac has ran the basic concepts of the Patriots offense as everybody is doing right now, but we haven't necessarily seen the tempo, the empty formations, the RPO concepts that they ran a couple of times last night. Those types of plays they must have drew up when the media goes home at night, right? Like that, that was, those were a little bit different than what we had seen him running in practice. So you definitely see a plan in place. You see a buildup in place. You see a script that they want to follow with Mac Jones in the game. And I want to talk about some of the individual throws because on top of just Can all we- of that. Yeah, Can we just, back, just backtrack real quick because a couple things you said. Um, you mentioned that you were saying sooner rather than later since minicamp. I don't disagree with your assessment in that, but I think it's one thing for him to show it in padded practices. It's another thing to show it right. in live action. So that's, to me, where he hit that step. Also, you just before we get into specific plays, the general Mac package you were talking about, I think maybe the most exciting individual development last night was how much they went shotgun five wide with Mac Jones. Yeah, We really didn't see that a ton last year outside of that goal line package where it was shotgun empty backfield, but everybody, you know, it was like four tight ends, five tight ends, they're all bunched in. That shotgun five wide, that was their, you know, that, that, that was their, uh, what do they call it in wrestling? Their finisher move during the glory days is they would spread that whole thing out and the defense basically had to pick their poison. They weren't doing that with Cam Newton last year. They didn't do it in Cam's few snaps in the game last night. I think I counted four instances where they went five wide empty backfield with Mac Jones. If you're a Patriots fan and you want something solid, not just hearsay, oh, he looked good. You want something solid to hang your hat on with Mac Jones. It looks like they like him enough to bring back that five wide. And bringing back that five wide is going to be a great tool with the offense. So there's your, if you want to talk about the Mac package, that to me is the one instance, those four or five snaps where you look at that and you say, oh, hell yeah. We're back. This offense is back, or it's on the way back. Right. The empty formation stuff with Cam was more designed to run the football, right? They would motion James White out of the backfield, send him out wide, and by emptying the backfield, it expanded the the defense, and it – led to, to favorable boxes for the Patriots to run on. And because Cam could run the football basically as a running back, they could play six on five in the box with Cam being the runner. So that was basically what happened last year when they went empty was they were going empty to run QB draw or QB power, right? And having right. Cam as the design runner, they weren't running empty to throw the football like they were last night with Mac Jones. But as you mentioned, it's just the fact that they have this script in mind and they have sort of this plan in mind, even in a preseason game of what they want this offense to look like. And the other number that I want to throw out before we get into the specific throws is 2.55 seconds. That was Mac Jones's average time to throw. 
2.55 seconds. Now, his average depth of target was 7.6 yards. So it wasn't like they were airing it out. It's not like he's throwing the ball in two and a half seconds, throwing it 10 yards down the field per, per attempt, right? It was definitely intermediate to short passes that he was attempting. But when you look at the pace and you look at the 2.55 second number, that is exactly what the Patriots offense wants to be, right? That That's what right. Josh McDaniels wants to do. He wants to operate in the quick game. He wants to spread the field and pick on matchups. He wants to move the offense at a really good pace. Those are the types of things that they want to do. The other thing that they really want to do is run under center play action. And last year, Cam averaged 7.9 yards per attempt on under center play action, which was 23rd out of 33 qualified quarterbacks. He was not a very good under center PA quarterback last year, despite the fact that they had a great downhill rushing attack, right? So you would think that with a team that's so heavy on the run, they'd be able to get teams to bite on play action and create big plays and explosive plays over the top with play action. Now, obviously that's not all on camp. There's a, there's a million reasons why they weren't an explosive offense last year off of play action, right? right? That, that aren't about cam, the receivers, all that kind of stuff. But last night, Mac Jones hits that throw to Kendrick Bourne where he turns his back to the defense. He sells the play fake. He hits the top of the drop. And as soon as he gets his eyes and shoulders back up field, balls out, right? Balls out on Kendrick Bourne right where it needs to be. And that when that throw happened, it's just a 13-yard in cut. It's nothing fancy. It's not a 60-yard bomb down the field. But when that play happened, I said, Boom. You know, that's the Patriots offense. That That's what Josh McDaniels wants to be. Ball out, hit the top of the drop, decisive decision, ball placement, boom. That, that's what they want to be. And every time we see Mac out there, I keep on saying that to myself. When training camp or in this preseason game last night, it just looks the way that they want it to look when he is in the huddle. And, and you got to think that that's going to start swaying Josh McDaniels towards Mac sign sooner rather than later, as we both like to say. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we've talked about it. And by the way, you're right about the weapons, too, to go back to the what I was saying about the five wide. Cam's not the only reason they didn't run that last year. Um, sure. A, a lot of these teams, you look at what happened in Miami last year, right, where they needed a quarterback change. And the, the speculation is that, the, the you know, the move to Tua was jarring. They were playing well. Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing well. All of a sudden, boom, Tua. And it kind of divided the locker room. And the speculation is that that push came from ownership. I don't think you're going to get that here, which is, it's, it's both good and bad. I, you know, I, I think it's good in the sense that anytime you don't have ownership meddling in football decisions, that's a good thing. That's part of the reason we're able, the Patriots were able to sustain success as long as they have. Um, the, the bad thing about that is it means it hinges on one person and you're, tr- and not that I don't trust Bill Belichick to see things the right way. The man has his rings for a reason, but you're kind of just hinging on Bill. So that being said, if there is going to be that push, if there is going to be that other voice calling for that change, I think it's a lot more likely, you know, in most cases where it would be the owner here, I think it's a lot more likely to be the offensive coordinator. It's not going to be. And I know some people, my coworkers included have talked about Robert Kraft coming downstairs and saying, it's time to move on from cam. I think well before you got to that point, it would be Josh McDaniels going to Bill Belichick and saying, Hey, it's time to make this change because you see the relationship between uh, Mac and between Josh, and you just see how he works in the offense. When it does come time to make the change, I think that that's going to, Josh McDaniels is going to have to be, uh, assuming Bill Belichick isn't eager to make it, Josh McDaniels is going to have to be the driving force behind it.
Yeah, absolutely. And the other throw that I wanted to point out as well, and, and then there was one other thing about this game from Mac that I thought was important too, but the one other throw I wanted to point out was the one to Christian Wilkerson on third down where the ball basically caught Christian Wilkerson, right? Is and, that the, the one where he reached like all yeah, the way? Yeah, yeah. That was a great, and, great play. And you look at, you look at that, you spread the field, you get the read, the high-low read of the, of the defense, right? The linebacker clears out of the passing lane with the running back in the flat. It opens up that throw to Christian Wilkerson. And before Wilkerson even turns to look at the quarterback and look for the football, the ball is already on him, right? So we talk about anticipation and then we talk about ball placement and knowing that the defender is setting up inside of Christian Wilkerson and then throwing it to his outside hip. That's what I, a lot of people, myself included, we, we always harp on leverage throws, right? Leverage throws meaning you look at the defensive back's leverage and you throw away from his leverage, right? So instead of throwing that ball inside shoulder, uh, Mac, excuse me, is throwing it outside shoulder, which is where you're throwing him open. You're throwing the receiver into the open area of the uh, the defense. That's the type of throw that you look at and you say that's a really good understanding processing of underneath coverage and how to read defense from that level of the field and also ball placement and knowing where to go with the football based off the leverage of the defender. Those are the Patriots type of throws because they love to run uh, that. That wasn't necessarily an inside option route, but they love to run those little routes at the top where you get to sort of decide uh, based off the leverage, if I'm going to break inside or outside, if you're the receiver, that's, that's the Patriots though in a, in a nutshell with Tom Brady and they love running those types of routes and, Max seems to really understand how to throw the receivers open on those types of plays. Yeah. And and that's one too, where you talk about the development of Mac Jones, right? And and yes, he threw him open, but Wilkerson, and and I know he had that drop and I know people want to come at me for that. My guy dropped the ball in the end zone, but, and look, he wasn't, he wasn't perfect last night. I'll admit that that play, the, the play that you're talking about that third down play, Wilkerson, like Wilkerson has to know to turn to that ball. That ball's out before Wilkerson turns. And if he doesn't know that that's where that throws coming, Mac throws a pick. So that's, I'm not saying this to pump Wilkerson's tires. I'm saying this because that shows me that in just a few months, Mac Jones has already built that kind of one brain chemistry with a couple of these receivers. That's not the only example. I think it was the only example last night. There might've been one other that I feel like there was, but I can't think of it. But we've seen it in practice, too. I think him and Jonu Smith have had a number of connections like that. Marvin Hall's highlight of camp, right? That that back shoulder fade at the pylon. Was that earlier this week or it might have been late last week? That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know, know the play I'm talking, talking about, right? Sure. So that shows me that, one, Mac is quickly adapting to the receivers. But, two, the receivers can quickly adapt to Mac. And I think that that's important, too. So it, there's a level of chemistry building here even with even with the splitting of the first team reps that we've seen in camp, because that's always a concern when you do that. And that's what that throw told me is, okay, it's not like, it's not just that Max coming out here and throwing the ball. Well, he's like, this, it, it's a team effort. He's on the same page as these guys. They're all seeing the same thing that I did not expect to see this quickly. That is one of the things when I say sooner rather than later, it was, well, how, it wasn't necessarily just Mac himself. It was, well, how fast can all these guys get on the same page? Because again, you try to throw that ball, and that's an important ball in the Patriots' offense. You try to throw that ball, and the receiver's not on the same page or the quarterback's not on the same page, that's six going back the other way. No, they nailed it. He's been making those kinds of throws in practice. That, to me, that play with Wilkerson 
for Jones was probably the most encouraging play of the night overall. Yeah, from a chemistry standpoint, absolutely. And you mentioned that it's going to be an interception, but th- that that's an NFL throw. Right. That's a throw that you've got to be able to make it in the NFL offense. So, yeah, you got, it's a little bit of a there's a chance that if they're not on the same page, that throw is picked off. But that's a throw that uh, Mac needs to make in this offense. So I, I don't think that that's a bad decision to throw it there, even if it goes the other way. If you get what I'm saying, you know, I, I think that that's the throw that they need to hit now in this offense moving forward. The last thing that I want to say uh, quickly before we move on from the quarterbacks and get into some of this other stuff is when I watched the game back this morning, and, and unfortunately we only get the TV copy and, and not the coaches film of the preseason games. But when I watched the game back this morning, the one thing that I also really noticed about when Mac was in the game, and this isn't saying that Cam wasn't doing this, just I, in Mac specifically was how much he was talking before the snap. Yeah. Right. How much cadence yeah. at the line of scrimmage he was going through. He changed multiple plays at the line of scrimmage. He checked multiple things, alerted multiple things. This Atlas is just having, Atlas, a, great, okay. having a great time over here. He doesn't like it when dad does the podcast. And he's alerting multiple to be clear, things. Atlas is a dog, not a kid. Just uh, in case people don't to, know. To, to be clear, my four-legged kid. Uh so he's alerting multiple things. He's changing protections, he's changing plays at the line. And all those types of things I think Mac is already doing at a pretty high level, definitely in terms of a rookie, right? And I, I see him getting himself protected the right way a whole lot. And I think that's something that's really going to be uh, good for him in the future because he's not – He's not Russell Wilson, right? He's not, he's not super mobile in the pocket. He's nimble, but he's not mobile. So that is the ability to sort of do those things and get the offensive line and get the protection into the right look is extremely important for a quarterback like Mac Jones. And he seems to be grasping all those things very early. I mean, he's sitting there tapping his helmet, resetting the mic point, moving the protection where it needs to go, hiking the ball, making the throw, right? Those are the types of processes that you want to see Mac do over and over and over again. And that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think that you're okay. I I know people want to be hesitant. And yes, somebody posted the stories today about, who was it? EJ Manuel looking great in his first preseason game. Jared Stidham looked great in his Jared first preseason Stidham. So, so, you know, right. there's a lot to get to. There's a way, long way to go here. I, I know people want to be hesitant, but I'll say this. It's a hell of a lot better than him looking like crap in his first preseason game. So. All right. Let's move on to the wide receivers here a little bit. I, I wanted to talk about Nikhil. I also wanted to talk about Christian Wilkerson and his game last night. Let's start with Nikhil, though, because I just want to first and foremost put this caveat on it. Any type of analysis that you hear about how Nikhil Harry looked last night is absolutely baloney because none of us, because NFL Game Pass stinks, none of us have the coaches tape. None of us. None of us have the all 22. So if you hear somebody and they say, oh, uh, Nikhil Harry couldn't get open down the field. There's no way, you know, he, he only had one target in the game. Yes. The stats are what the stats are. If he was open down the field, you would think the quarterbacks would have pushed it down the field to him. But without the benefit of being able to see it from a bird's eye view, we'd have no idea 
if Nikhil Harry was actually open a little bit last night and didn't get the ball, or if Nikhil Harry wasn't a part of the, the first read in the progression, the ball came out and in the backside of the play, he got open. Cause I thought there was a couple of times watching it live where he had one-on-one on the backside of the formation and Cam in particular early on in the game just decided to go to the front side of the play, right. And just try decided to stay on the main read in the play. So first and foremost, you can't sit there and say that you have any clue if Nikhil Harry was consistently open or not, because we don't know by, because we don't have the coaches film in front of us. But that being said, one target, one catch for four yards is one target for one catch in four yards. We certainly saw a much better Nikhil Harry in practice at times and somebody that was demanding throws down the field in practice. So what do you sort of take away from Nikhil Harry's performance? Whether he wasn't open or the quarterbacks didn't want to throw to him either way, that's concerning, right? I mean, what does it say if he was getting open and the quarterbacks didn't want to get him the ball? What does that tell you? You'd think with the way he was playing in camp that he'd be the first guy they look to because, you know, both of these guys have a lot on the line. This isn't Tom Brady just going out there and going through the motions and knowing everything's going to be okay. There's a starting job on the line. There's real stakes here for these quarterbacks, so they're going to go to who they trust. Nikhil Harry played the most snaps of any skill position player last night and had just one target. That should tell you all it needs to tell you. The whole, yes, he's been great to this point. Last night when it mattered most, he wasn't. For one, for one, in one way or the other, he wasn't. So there you go. And that, I know I'm going to, I know I'm coming across an Akil Harry hater again. That, no, that hit the nail on the head. I, I, right? I call it like I see it. I am telling you what I see. I am not somebody who's out here trying to push an agenda. I, if Nikhil Harry's great, that makes them a better team. And I would enjoy that. But I think last night was a major red flag after the start he's gotten off to. Yeah, no, that hit the nail on the head. I I really feel like if you are open down the field, these quarterbacks I do think are going to try to throw the ball down there. I thought there was one instance, maybe two, where he had one-on-one, like I said, backside of the formation, where they could have tried to throw, throw the ball up to him. He got open on a deep post, it looked like, and Cam decided to throw it to the crosser instead of the deep post. There were a couple of instances where maybe he could have made a play on the ball, but more times than not, you're throwing balls into 50-50 territory with him. And and I get it. That's the type of receiver that he is. And we're going to sit here and talk about how he, he they need to throw it up to him. They need to throw him the jump balls. He's a contested catch receiver. He's six foot three. That's his skill set. But when you're a quarterback and you see a defender all over your guy, it's really hard to pull the trigger on that throw, right? Like you're, you're really trusting right. – the receiver to at least prevent an, an interception, but even come down with it. So there's just higher percentage throws uh, elsewhere on the field that you would like to throw the football to. And that's where these quarterbacks end up going. You mentioned it briefly there uh, when you were talking about Nikhil. He played 36 snaps last night, which was the most out of any wide receiver on the Patriots. Any what skill make- position. It was just two linemen ahead of him. That was it. Yeah. So, so what do we make of that? Because, on the one hand, if they're truly showcasing him, then you're saying to the QBs, guys, push it to Nikhil, right? Like if you're sitting here and you're, and you're truly trying to showcase him to other teams to inflate his trade value, you're telling Cam, you're telling Mac, throw it up to Nikhil, right? And let him go make a play on it at least once tonight. So the fact that they didn't force feed him the ball, they, they played him a lot, but they didn't force feed him the ball is sort of tells me that they're not necessarily showcasing him so but what do we make out of the fact that he played so many snaps and and then basically ran wind sprints the entire night that tells me that they were expect they wanted him to have a big game 
that for one reason or another, either they wanted him to keep getting his confidence up heading into Philadelphia, or they wanted to showcase him for a trade. They wanted him to have a big game. That's what that tells me. They, you know, this wasn't a, you know, they, they don't know what his role is yet. And that doesn't mean that they, they're going to trade. They're definitely going to trade him or they're definitely going to keep him. They don't know. They don't know what they're going to do with this guy. As confused as we are, and I've talked about it, this is as unique a roster situation as, as we've seen in the Bill Belichick era. It's as confusing. There's really no obvious answer. They, I think they're just as jumbled by it as we are. And I think that's what that was last night. They just figured the more they put him out there, the more they're going to figure out. And that's that's what they need to figure. They, they need to figure this out. Right. Without Nelson Aguilar, uh, Nikhil Harry was the X receiver last night, basically for most of the game, right? He, right. he was your X receiver, one target, one catch, four yards. And the other element that I just want to mention about this X receiver spot is I mentioned this on our post game show last night too, watching the game from the press box, it, less so when Mac Jones got in there, but when Cam and the starting offense were in there early, Washington played them exactly like every single defense played them last year, right? The safety was maybe 10, 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. They were single high the whole time. They got eight guys in the box the entire time, sometimes nine, depending on the offensive formation. It is a compact area, right? Everything that the Patriots offense does without Nelson Aguilar happens within 10 to 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. And the defenses know that. So the defense are, are packing that box. They're packing the short and intermediate areas. And they're daring these quarterbacks to throw it deep to Nikhil Harry, right? They're just saying, do it, do it. Test our corners, do it all you want. If you're going to beat us throwing to Nikhil Harry down the field, then so be it. So I came away from last night's game, and maybe this is a little bit too much of a takeaway from a preseason game, but I almost feel like Nelson Aguilar is now one of the most important players on this offense because he's truly their only field stretching element that they're going to have all year. And if they're going to get those safeties back a little bit, if they're going to get those boxes to be a little bit more favorable with the numbers, they're going to have Aguilar is going to have to be a big time factor on the outside, taking the top off because somebody's going to have to pay for them lining the safety up 11 yards off the line of scrimmage, right? Like someone is going to have to make them pay for that. And it certainly is not going to be Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne and Nikhil Harry or John or Hunter Henry for that matter either. Maybe up the seams, those guys can make them pay for it a little bit, but not in terms of 40, 50 yards down the field. So that my takeaway with this wide receiver group is that Nelson Aguilar and making that thing work is extremely high on the list of you got, got to check that box. Right. If this offense is going to be good this year, Aguilar has to be good. They have to incorporate Aguilar properly and make him a good player. That situation has to work out because otherwise it's going to be just like last year where everything is happening in a cardboard box in the middle of the field. Well, I would add to that, you know, that's why in Nikhil playing that many snaps, I would have liked to see somebody else at the X just to see what they have behind Aguilar. And maybe they think it is Nikhil, but, you know, as we get into the, the next two preseason games here, we saw Wilkerson there a little bit, and I think he did okay. But, you know, show me Trey Nixon. Let me see what Trey Nixon can do in that spot. And I don't think he's going to overtake Nelson Aguilar, but like you said, I think it's very important you have a plan B at that spot. And right now it seems like they're trying to force Nikhil into into being that plan B. And I just, I don't know that that's a role he's going to succeed in. And it wouldn't be the first time that they've kind of forced a, a square peg into a round hole and forced Nikhil Harry into a spot 
where he can't play to his strengths and he's not going to succeed. So that maybe felt like it was the play in last night is, is him being the second X, but he's not the same kind of X that Nelson Aguilar is. And he's not necessarily the kind of X they need in a two tight end heavy offense. Right. They need Brandon Cooks, right? They need Nelson Aguilar to be Brandon Cooks 2017 as a guy that's a true field stretcher, a true impact player down the field. And when the defense goes single high and the single high safety is 12 yards off the line of scrimmage because they're crowding the line to play the run, Nelson Aguilar has to be able to win a one-on-one matchup down the field and get open deep and create those explosive plays. He did it with the Vegas Raiders last year. He was one of the best deep ball receivers in the league on a statistical basis, right? So he's done it before in the league at a high level in that regard, and he's going to have to bring that to the Patriots. What what do you make about Christian Wilkerson's night? Uh, That's your boy. Uh, How did you feel? Uh, the 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 pe- passing the ends on the deep ball, you'd like to see him be able to finish through a little bit of contact there and make a play on the football. But it, it was good coverage by the defender as well, and it, it was a, it was a tough. It was probably a thirty seventy ball, right, for Christian Wilkerson. Right. He could have caught it. I thought he he fought the ball a little bit more than he was in practice, right? Like I didn't really think that his hands were a huge issue in practice. Not that I thought his hands were a huge issue necessarily last night, but it did seem, he did seem to be fighting it a little bit more last night than what we saw in practice. Yeah. I, you know, I keep going back to man, if he makes that catch both him and Max Jones, what's the conversation like today? You oh, know, sure. pants are off, but no, I, I, you know, I thought he was good again. I'll kind of go off what I said about Nikhil, Nikhil not getting targeted. Is that an issue of the trust with the quarterbacks? Wilkerson gets nine targets. He's clearly somebody these quarterbacks like throwing the ball to. I think he looked good after the catch, which is, you know, he's going to have to win in that sense when, if, and when he makes the team and if, and when he's a part of the offense. So I, you know, I, I, I'm not over the top about it. I, I don't know that I feel like he gained any ground. I don't think he lost any ground because that drop's going to be the lasting image. And that's not just for the outside observers. I'm sure with Bill Belichick and the coaching staff as well, that's going to be the lasting image, but Outside of that play, I thought he played well. I thought he more or less did what he needed to do. Nothing more than that. Nothing less. So, uh, on, on to, on to week two with him, I think is kind of where we're at. And I didn't learn too much. So my two other takeaways from Christian Wilkerson, one, the opening kickoff of the game, number 17's out there as a gunner on the kickoff team, right? And oh, you look right. at that and you say, that's, that those 10 guys plus Jake Bailey that take the field there, that's their number one unit for kickoff coverage. And Christian Wilkerson right, was yeah. right there, right? So that that's all the things that we talked about uh, the other day about his special teams contributions. They clearly already view him as a regular special teams contributor. And if you remember... This when, is what I've been trying to tell you. Right, when, when Jonathan Jones first made the team, right? Or uh, guys like that. Keon Carlson, even to a degree, when his rookie season, even though it didn't stick with New England. Gunner. Gunner, uh, Those guys getting out there early uh, in in training camp and in the preseason on kickoff coverage is a really good indicator. The other thing I would say is he was – he at least relatively got open quite a bit, right? And so maybe he didn't catch every pass that was thrown his way, but he was getting open and he was making defenders. It looked like it was a challenge to cover him last night at times. I'm not saying that he's Julio Jones, but it would look like it was a challenge to cover him to a degree last night for the Washington cornerbacks. So that's all you want to see when you're watching wide receivers, especially this time of year. Is it 
do the corners look hurried? Do they look do they look like it's difficult for them to track a guy, right, and, and stick with the guy? I thought at times Christian Wilkerson definitely tested the coverage a little bit. So I, 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 I positive day, I would say, positive night. I definitely so, am starting to – it's starting to grow on me, Alex. It's starting to grow there, on me. There we, well, let's not forget, uh, a, a little less than a year ago, you were disgusted with the idea of, of them taking Mac Jones. Now I'm the one who has to reel you in on the Mac Jones excitement. So it wouldn't be the first time. Um, I'll say this about Wilkerson Patriots fans. I, I I don't think a lot of fans understand truly what the word separation means. A lot of fans use it incorrectly. Separation can mean a lot of things. There's spatial separation. When you, you get actual physical space away from who's covering you, there's other forms of, of separation too. If you're six, four and you have a massive vertical, even if the guy's standing right next to you, you have separation because you can jump up over him. If you're somebody who just has a, a great catch radius, right? You can go down and get the ball. You can go over here, go over there and get the ball. That's separation. Jacoby Myers can get that kind of separation. But Patriots fans all last year screamed and cried and bitched and moaned for somebody who could get spatial separation. I know it wasn't against the starting defense last night, but Christian Wilkerson got spatial separation. Patriots fans, that's what you've been begging for. Don't come in here and tell me that he's not good enough and he's not what you want. You wanted a guy who could run away from defenders and you acted like that's the most important trait in a wide receiver. That's what Christian Wilkerson did last night. So there you go. You got your spatial separation. Evan, correct me if I'm wrong. No, he, he got open. I, I said that. He got open. The other uh, just skill position, well, receiver, and then I want to talk about the running backs a little bit too, did it move a little bit for you, Alex, when Johnny Smith broke two tackles and ran down the sideline on that drag route? Did did it did it move a little bit? Did that wake you oh. up in the press box? Yeah, no, that that was great. And I I I don't I think by the end of the here here's the best part. I think by the end of the year it won't. I think we're gonna see that play somewhat regularly. That's the exact right. play they signed him for. Catch the ball within three, four yards of the line of scrimmage and pick up nine or ten. That's going to be his MO. Over and over and over again that, you know, I, we talked early in camp, right. About seeing the picture come together and you saw the concept that they had in mind when they signed all these players and seeing it in reality on the field. That was just another one of those moments where it was, they signed that guy to go out there and make the exact, that exact play. And there's been cases over the last few years where they sign a guy or they draft a guy for, you know, to, to fill one specific role. And that guy doesn't ultimately go out there and fill that role. You know, Nikhil Harry, Juwan Williams. Right. Yonder looks like he's going to fill that exact role. And, and that that's freaking exciting. I'll tell you that. I thought the hold that it got called on him, too, was a little bit ticky-tack. It, it looked like it was kind of a, vatty, uh, a savvy move uh, by Chase Young. to he Chase Young kind of grabbed Johnny a little bit to make it look like it was he was holding on to him as uh, Damian Harris ran off the edge there a little bit. He I, That play, though, that you mentioned it. We've seen that play a thousand times already out at training camp, right? Johnny Smith, shallow drag route coming across the formation, throw it away from the defensive rotation, hit him in stride, let him run with it down the sideline. We, we've already seen that at least, I would say, a dozen times, maybe even closer to 20 times in training camp. So I, I wasn't surprised at all to see him do that. We haven't really seen them tackle live necessarily in training camp all the way to the ground quite yet. So it was obviously great to see him pick up those yards after contact. But exactly what we were expecting out of Johnny Smith, the running backs. Uh, I think the two running backs that matter the most. Can I bring up one more tight end point? I'm just curious what you think of this. 
Matt Lacoste was the second tight end on the field when they went in 12 early in the game. Him over Ossie Ossie. I know I, I think Ossie Ossie just being a top 100 pick a year ago, I think it's going to make, it makes it really hard for them to get rid of him. I don't think they can carry four tight ends, especially if, you know, both Lacoste and Ossie Ossie who are a little redundant. I, I'm like, do you think Ossie Ossie is just not ready coming back from COVID? Lacoste has had a strong summer. Is he right. actually making a push for that spot? That's just something that, you know, I'm going to watch going been, forward. It caught my eye. I'm curious what you think. Lacoste has been fine this summer. I, I'm not, Matt Lacoste is Matt Lacoste, right? But Matt Lacoste right. has okay. been fine. Uh, he's certainly held his own in the run game. He's more of a stalemate run blocker than a true physical sort of difference maker, right? But he, he can hold his own in the run game. He's decent underneath receiver when they need him to be. So I think that there are some moments for Matt Lacoste in training camp, certainly. But to me, and my sort of feeling on it with Devin Asiasi is COVID is – COVID's a mother, right? Like right. you just don't know. You don't know what kind of shape he's in. You don't know what kind of shape he's in from all sorts of standpoints, right? How is he breathing after COVID? Jason Tatum had to take an inhaler before every Celtics game after he had right. COVID, right? You just don't know how their body is reacting to the COVID. And on top of that, is he in football shape quite yet, right? Is 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 he – got that football shape down as well. He hasn't practiced a whole lot. So let, let's give it another couple of weeks and That's let Asiasi sort of figure yep. it out, no, right? Makes a ton of sense. Again, I think Asiasi ultimately ends up winning that job. I just, I don't know. It stood out to me. This is the show. We talk about what we see. That's something I saw. Okay. I, I'm with you on that one. That Lacoste has been better than expected. Let's talk about these running backs. I think the most two, the two most important ones to talk about our reminder is Stevenson, obviously, and J.J. Taylor. I want to start with J.J. Taylor, though, because I'm doing a 53-man roster projection tomorrow. Alex, I know you've been working on your next iteration of your 53. Yep. That's going to come out at some point. And we have gone Wednesday. back and forth a million times about J.J. Taylor, right? Is this guy going to make the team? Is he not going to make the team? How are they going to carry six running backs? It sort of feels like that game last night, it does feel like, that Ramondre Stevenson and J.J. Taylor will both try to make a statement at the same time and, and yeah. sort of solidify themselves on this team. J.J. Taylor ran hard. Uh, he caught a few balls, a few check, sta- check downs underneath the defense. And one of those was that nice check down by Mack when he got the ball out really quickly and J.J. Taylor picked up 11 yards on first down. Uh, those types of plays, Ramondre Stevenson had the huge game late. And when you're a 240-pound back going up against four-string guys that can't tackle and you're a decent player, right, and you got some skill like Ramondre Stevenson, 91-yard runs in the preseason is going to happen. Danny Etling had a 75-yard run in the preseason oh, or 80-yard run or whatever it was. So I don't want to get too caught up in Ramondre Stevenson going off against practice squad guys. I, I don't know how much we're going to really look into that. But what were your feelings on J.J. Taylor first, and then we can talk about Ramondre, because I still go back and forth of whether or not they can find a spot for J.J. Taylor this year unless we see one of the Pup guys or a guy at ir that remains on Pup or is ir before the start of the regular season. Yeah, that's why, honestly, I'm waiting until Wednesday to do my roster projection because the first round of roster cuts is on Tuesday. Right. So maybe they IR somebody, um, and that opens up a spot. J.J. Taylor is a tough one. I had him on my original roster projection. I had him off my 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 first official one. With him, for me, he's a very he's a good running back, and he definitely adds a dynamic they don't have. But 
to keep six running backs. He's got to add something else. And he struggled in on special teams. He struggled fielding punts. He had one last night. It would he fall down catching it? I think so. If he's not going to be able to return punts or kicks, you know, how many carries is he going to get if there's six running backs on the team, even five, if Stevenson's redshirted. So he's playing well enough to get on. And I think what he did in the passing game last night definitely stands out. He took advantage of no brain of Bolden. I think Bolden gets some of those snaps if he plays. So a big opportunity for JJ Taylor last night. And he absolutely seized it, but it's just tough without that special teams ability to, to justify, you know, putting it, him on the team if I'm actually projecting what the Patriots are going to do. So I, he did what he needed to do last night. I think he made it clear that, that he still can be a factor on offense. And we didn't see him a ton last year, so he didn't know, oh, those you know, snaps, were they a fluke, whatever. You know, I, I feel confident saying he can be a factor on offense, but that lack of special teams ability is kind of what, what, what gives me pause. I'm not saying it eliminates him from the roster. I don't think it does, but – if you're trying to look at this through Bill Belichick's eyes, it, it definitely puts him squarely in the bubble. Sure. And he had opportunities last night to return punts, but more importantly, I thought he had a ton of opportunities to return kickoffs. And that's a role that we've been talking about. He could potentially fill because they don't necessarily have an explosive kickoff returner right now. They have right. Brandon Bolden, who I guess they can throw back there. Gunner has not been particularly good at returning kickoffs and in practice Gunner doesn't even field kickoffs too much if at all so they're looking for somebody to bring some juice back there and the guy Duggar is another guy they've tried they've tried and they don't seem to be too keen on having Duggar do that I think they they're saving him for defense and the guy that we constantly here is uh, from the comparison the one that Ivan fears threw out there with JJ Taylor is Deion Lewis and Deion Lewis was a really good kick returner for the Patriots he housed a couple of kick returns for the Patriots when he was here so we know how important that role can be uh, when they had Deion Lewis back there that was a dynamic athlete certainly when they had your boy Cordero back there that was a dynamic athlete right so that that's a, a element of gaining yards that's important field position that's important if you get a couple one even two of those house a year that that's points on the board right for the offense so uh, it's an it's a role that I think JJ Taylor should have been able to fill and last night he had a crease it looked like he had an opportunity on one of them and it all sort of collapsed on him a little bit too quickly and he wasn't able to get it out as far as far as I thought that he could I thought he had a little bit of, of a hole there if he really exploded through it and he didn't he runs hard. He's got great contact balance. He uses that low center of gravity to his advantage. There was that one play where he broke the tackle, put his hand down to kind of keep his feet right and, and then keep his balance and kind of uh, kept running for a little bit more. Th- that's Those types of players are nice to see out of him. I just don't know if he does enough things for them. And is the role, the backup role to James White, is that important enough? for them to keep him on the roster. It is, but that that's not necessarily the role he's going for. Cause again, is he a pass blocker on that level? We, we didn't get to right. see a ton of that last night. I, I don't know if he is either. I just, I don't know. I, I think that he's got good athleticism, good explosiveness. I mentioned contact balance. He's kind of one of those bowling ball running backs, even at his size, he's got more power than you would think. 
but it just it doesn't seem like he does a ton of things re- really well and, and uh, enough things in one phase of the game well enough, right? You mentioned receiving. He can catch balls out of the backfield. He can make things happen after the catch a little bit, but he can't pass protect as well as some of these other guys can, right? So do you trust him to play in that phase of the game? He's a good runner, but he's more of a change of pace back. You're not going to give him 20 carries a game, right, just because of his size. He's an okay kick returner, but he's not an electric kick returner yet. So I'm trying to find the role for J.J. Taylor, trying to find the niche for J.J. Taylor on this team because I do think he's a talented football player, and I I do think that he should be on an NFL roster in in an NFL – on an NFL team. But it's just difficult to find – as the sixth running back, and this sort of comes back to Ramondre Stevenson, so I guess we can talk about him as well in, in this segue. If Ramondre Stevenson's healthy and on the team, then what are they going to carry six guys? I mean, I just – I don't know. I, I don't see how they can carry six guys. Right. It, it, it comes down to, you know, like we just talked about a tight end. Are they really going to keep Devin Asiasi and Matt Lacoste on top of the other two guys? The roster doesn't dictate it. You can't keep. We've done we've done this before. I wrote about it for ninety eight five the Sports Hub. You can't necessarily keep the best fifty three players on the roster. That's just not how it works because you have to keep at least two quarterbacks, at least seven right. linemen, at least X number of each position, and just the way they're built right now, four tight ends and six running backs, and then you're talking about potentially six wide receivers. Oh, now I have to do math. I hate having to do math in my head on the show. That's six, six, twelve. That's sixteen players. That's sixteen players between three positions. That's just not realistic. That's you can't build a full NFL roster keeping sixteen players between those three specific positions. Somebody who's probably earned a spot on the team is going to be a victim of depth and going to be let go. And right now, JJ Taylor is kind of in that spot where. I'll, go, I'll use the term again, at-large roster spots. How many roster spots can truly be won by a player, any position on the roster? Like, regardless of position, it just goes to the best player available. By my calculation, the Patriots have about six of those spots. And that's one of the spots J.J. Taylor is fighting for right now, and I don't know if he's in the top six. Right. And unless, again, unless Ramondre Stevenson gets the Foxborough flu and ends right, up which on could a change reserve, things. Yeah, could change things, but... As much as that was against in garbage time in a preseason game against four string guys that might not be on an NFL team in a couple of weeks, all those caveats aside, he did show you that he's got some skill. He does have some ability. I think that he is maybe further along than Ivan Fears thought he was to a degree, which is good to see. The 91 yard run, whether he was playing against fourth stringers or not, you de- speed is speed, right? And, and, and you could definitely see that he had a little bit of explosiveness that maybe we didn't know that he had. So I, I think that he did enough last night to at least move the needle a little bit. So I don't know. I, I have a, I just, I don't know if you can just completely redshirt him in terms of putting him on IR and ending his season with the way that Damian Harris and Sony Michelle have both had some injury issues in the past. You're quickly going to find yourself putting Brandon Bolden down as your lead back, right? All of a sudden, if you IR Ramondre Stevenson and end his year before the cutdown day. So maybe they can cut JJ Taylor initially. IR Ramondre Stevenson after cut down so they can do the boomerang thing if they want to and then sneak JJ Taylor back onto the team. I guess. I don't know. It just seems to me like Ramondre Stevenson 
is a he's not going to get cut because he's a fourth round pick. So he's going to be right. in the building somehow, whether it's on the active roster or not. So he's not going to get cut. So JJ Taylor has got it, sort of the odd man out right now. I still think I'm going to have him off the roster projection, even though I thought he looked good in spurts last night. I want to talk about the offensive line. Uh, well, just real quick, I think you hit it on the head. The possibility they cut Taylor, hope nobody signs him, and then once he comes back, IR Stevenson designated to return, or IR anybody designated right. to return. Like J.J. Taylor is one of the top candidates, I think, for that possibility right now, where he's cut to get somebody on, eligible to return IR, and then brought back. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a possibility, and – I just I think Ramondre Stevenson's better than Ivan Fears initially put out there. Yeah, I, I think Ivan Fears was being a little bit trying to drive the rookie a little. I I think and he's not. He he didn't want to give out any any family secrets. Sure. All right. Really quickly on the offensive line because we're almost an hour in already and we haven't even talked about the defense. So really quickly about the offensive line, I want to give credit where credit is due. James Ferentz had a really nice game last night he's had a pretty decent training camp I would say as well they have David Andrews there they have Ted Karras there they really don't need James Ferentz I I suppose he's been a guy that's hung around on the practice squad been elevated a couple of times when games uh when necessary when Andrews goes out Karras went out and uh was at 19 for a couple of games there that they needed him for yeah but James Ferentz looked decent the other, the backup tackles outside of Justin Huron are still a problem. I don't know if it necessarily matters. I, they'll have Justin Huron on the team. They'll have Mike Unwenu on the team who can kick outside if they absolutely need him to again. So I don't know if I necessarily, none of the guy, all the guys that we, Yanni Kajust had a tough game. Corey Cunningham had some tough moments. The backup tackles are a little bit of a problem, but the top seven seems really solid to me. I think Ference is solid if you want to keep him as an eighth guy. I, I think maybe, Something's going on with Will Sherman. He played five snaps last night. So they obviously think that he's got a long way to go as well. But to me, the top seven's good. Ference is decent if you want to keep him. If you want another tackle or a guy that can play tackle and guard or something like that, I, I suppose they could look out of house for that option when the time comes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We, we've talked about what they're going to do with that eight off, eighth offensive line spot. I'd like to think Sherman, between his potential positional versatility, contract situation, would be the guy. But, yeah, the fact they didn't play him, that tells me that the, he's not ready. They're trying to bury him to get him on the practice squad, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm not it, – it, it's wide open at this point. Like you said, Ferentz was good. Maybe that's him. And you think that spot probably does go to an interior lineman, if anybody, but you're right. That, that I think, is somewhere where we start looking at a potential uh, external candidate. I also want to mention really quickly, I don't want to go on a whole O-line rant right now, but when we start talking about – they played eight offensive li- uh, 11 offensive linemen, excuse me, last night. When you start talking about 8 through 11 on the depth chart for any NFL team, all those guys are are not very good. The depth around the league at the offensive line position is not very good. So the fact that the Patriots have, I would say, seven solid offensive linemen when you include Karras and Justin Haran with the starting five is already really good depth. Teams do not have good fourth string tackles anymore. It, there's not the depth around right. the league is not there. So every team's fourth string tackle is as good as Corey Cunningham or as good as Yadni Kajust, or as good, uh, their, their 
fourth or fifth guy on the interior is as good as Marcus Martin or, uh, you know, Alex Redmond. That, that, those are the, that's the league right now. So I don't think the offensive line is a problem at all. I don't think the depth is a problem at all. If you want to see problems with O-line and O-line depth, the other 31 teams I'm sure have a lot more problems than the Patriots do at that spot. I, I guarantee you that right. a bunch of them do. Go, go talk to Tua Tagovailoa down in Miami who had to huddle up his offensive lineman after he got sacked on three straight plays in training camp and talk about offensive line play, right? It, Trust me when I tell you the Patriots have good offensive line depth. They, if we're getting into the minutia of Corey Cunningham's not cutting it, Yanni Kajust isn't cutting it, we're already going well, well down the depth chart at that point. Yeah, we've we've talked about this. There's a there's a shortage of offensive line play in the league right now. So their top seven guys are strong, and that's ultimately what's important. But you want to have the depth in case you need it. So that is a spot worth keeping an eye on. Also, Chase Young is really good. He's really good. I see a lot of a lot of that in the chat right now about Isaiah Wynn getting beat by Chase. Chase Young is going to be if he's not already the best pure pass rusher in the NFL in year two. He is going to be at some point, and him and Miles Garrett are going to take that mantle for the next ten years. Right? Those guys are going to go back and forth for a long time. He is the real deal. So every once in a while, Chase Young is going to have a good rep, and you just kind of tip your cap and you move on. Look, and Washington is a kicker that missed twice last night, and we'll get into it later, but it looks like the Patriots might have two kickers. So I, I don't know, maybe like Quid Nordine for Chase Young and some picks. Like maybe maybe we start talking about that. You know, Let's talk about the defense. Open eyes. Let's stop it. Let's talk about the defense. I, I want to go a little bit quicker through some of these guys. I just want to throw names out there, and Alex and I will do a couple minutes on each player. Matt Judon, three-play sequence, just absolute dominant. Uh, force, tackle for loss, shot out of the cannon off the backside, drops in the coverage. I, I don't know how he saw the running back release into the back, out of the backfield and get to that spot to contest that throw. He had eyes in the back of his head on that play. Really great instinctual play there. That was probably the best play he made, honestly. Like the tackle for loss is the splash play, obviously, but picking up the running back coming out of the backfield and leading that pass to incomplete, that was an impressive linebacker play. And then right before he came out of the game, he beats Morgan Moses with a little outside in move, gets inside and hits the quarterback and and forces an incomplete pass. So you have the tackle for loss, dropping into coverage, rushing the passer, complete package last night from Matt Jude and just 12 snaps. And you're already saying, wow, that guy can really play football. Yeah, he was excellent. And then we had that whole roller coaster where maybe he was hurt and he came back to the game and whatever. Uh, He Again, you see the picture come together. Kyle Van Noy comes in on one side, stands up that block. Uh, it forces the whole line to kind of overshift, gives Judon room in the back door. He comes through, makes the tackle. When they sign the contracts in March, that's exactly what they were picture, picturing. And you see it in practice right there, uh, or in a game right there. You see them put it into practice right there. It's a beautiful thing. It was he was an absolute force. How about Josh Uche? Uh, three quarterback pressures for Uche's all hurries, but you saw some of that explosiveness. He blew up by the uh, backup left tackle for Washington on one rep. I posted that on Twitter. Uh, just continues to be a very explosive athlete when he's out there, a little bit on the line, a little bit off the line, doing some of those different Dante Hightower type of things, like he mentioned a few months ago that he wanted to be like Hightower. And you see. Not necessarily the power at the point of attack and the physicality that Dante Hightower brings to the table, but certainly the versatility to a degree uh, for a young player. 
Uche looks like he's going to be a stud if, and this is a, this is an if, because last night it, it came up again. Every single time he gets some momentum, the guy seems to get nicked up with something, right? It's right. it's a pulled hamstring, it's a rolled ankle, whatever the case may be. But when Udon, uh, excuse me, when Uche is out there, he's fantastic. But he's got to stay healthy. He's going to have to stay in one piece. Yeah, I think the big and he, and he said last night he was feeling. I think the exact word was fantastic after getting a little banged up himself. Yeah, with um, a smile on his face, he was right. Yeah, the the big thing for him with me, we talked a lot about this in the weeks leading up to camp that one of these depth edge guys was going to have to play some middle linebacker to stick on this to not necessarily to stick on the team, but to you know find the snaps would play a role, really right. get a chance. Yeah, to put, to have a a real role on defense, and we saw Josh Uche playing some like linebacker last night and. I thought maybe that would be Chase Winovich. Obviously, he's not out there right now. So it looks like Uche is going to be that guy. I think it's a role he can handle. And, and that that that's a good development. That means that they want to find a way to get him on the field, at whatever it's going to take, even if it means maybe moving him around the formation a little bit. So a good sign for him. Uh, I, I don't know that he's quite lived up to I mean, there was so much hype this spring, right? He was unbelievable this spring. I don't know that he's quite picked back up where he left off in the spring, but he's been good. So I, and again, that positional versatility is only going to help. Going to be really fascinating to watch him in the two days in Philadelphia because the Eagles have a lot of holes on their roster, but the trenches is not where it's at, right? They are still a very, very good team. You remember in 2017, they were great in the trenches that year as well. Their offensive line is still stacked and that's going to be a really fun sort of matchup to watch, especially if Josh Uche can get some reps against Lane Johnson and see if he can beat Lane Johnson, right? That, that, that'll be really interesting to watch. So I'm interested to see Uche uh, over the next couple of days in the joint practices in Philadelphia against the Eagles starting offensive line, which is the real deal. Another guy sort of at that edge position and there's just so many guys to talk about at this at, in this front seven and especially on the line of scrimmage from last night, which is a great sign. And this whole unit has really looked like it's going to turn itself around. We're going to talk about some of the big boys here in a second. But last one out on the edge, we can say some nice things about Deshaun Bauer too if you want to, Alex. But Ronnie Perkins ended up filling out the stat sheet pretty well last night, especially late in that game. He seemed to be sort of up a level from the players that were still out there, right, at the end of the game. Four quarterback pressures, three run stops for Ronnie Perkins. It started off a little bit shaky. It looked like that one play where he lost contain on the edge was maybe still a little bit of inexperience about being out there that far and playing with his uh, uh, with uh, up on his feet in a two-point stance, but was able to pressure the quarterback some, some speed to power. Uh, the Juwan Williams interception, he was the one that was right in the quarterback's lap, forcing a bad throw. I thought Ronnie Perkins really turned it on late in this game, and I came away pretty impressed with his performance overall. Yeah, I, I think there were still some moments where you see it. You know, he's a developing player, and I've said this before. I think he's a guy where they probably have more of a two- to three-year plan than having him come in right away. Uh, but you you saw it last night. You saw why he has that promise. I mean, he's just so explosive. He's so – if you don't beat him initially, you're, you're not going to be able to recover against him. He's just that good with his initial burst. Now, it's what happens if he does get beat initially – that he needs to work on. And that I think is going to be a, a, a work in progress all year, but yeah, no, it, I, I was surprised he far fell as far as he did in the draft. Because again, I think all the unteachables are there. He just, just a guy that needs to be coached up. And last night was a great example of that. He's a guy that when, when he's on, when it's all clicking for him, he's going to be a menace. 
Absolutely. I saw in the chat, somebody said, should we be worried about KVM? I saw this a little bit on Twitter last night. Do people think KVM played poorly in that game last I, night? I, I mean, he was barely out there. How could you tell? He also played a lot of inside linebacker. I think that they're sort of cross-training him in that spot just yeah. in case they have to put him there. But he's going to be out on the edge, and he's going to look fine out there. He's looked great. He also, I mean, he set up the Judon play. So that right. that was one of the best plays of the night. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't Absolutely. see anything negative from Kyle Van Noy. Kyle Van Noy taking on the tight end. Lawrence Guy taking on the combination block to the play side of the Judon play was the whole setup. I, I've talked about that a couple of times in different places. I wanted to move to the defensive line. What a breath of fresh air some of these guys are. We can talk about the Akeem Spence thing, which is a little bit bizarre. But yeah. if you're Lawrence Guy, who I mentioned just then, had a great play early on in the game on that Judon play where he was able to hold up the combination block and sort of make the whole play go and, and create that wall on third and short. But what Lawrence guy must just be super relieved to have Devon Godshaw playing next to him now this year compared to what he had playing against him, uh, playing alongside of him last year. Right. I mean, it's a complete different, angle and I, I posted another play of Godshaw where he bench pressed the tackle and threw him to the ground and made the tackle and you just look at the way that Godshaw plays or the way Lawrence Guy plays uh, these guys fit what they want them to do I thought Carl Davis did a lot of good things last night in that game as well and uh, maybe a little bit later on in the game than what to start with the starters because Akeem Spence for some reason was starting uh, we'll talk about Spence here in a second but I just looking at that group Guy Godshaw uh, certainly uh, Carl Davis has sort of come on a lot as well. It, it's such a better group than it was last year. It, it's such a better group, and you know that their run defense is going to be much improved because of it. And let's not forget, we didn't even get to see Barmore last night. He was dressed, right. but he didn't play. And that's, you know, you talk about that group. Where's my excitement? It's with Christian Barmore. I want to see what he can do. So, yeah, complete, like you said, complete 180 from last year. So what did you make about the Akeem Spence thing? That that was bizarre. I have a couple of theories, but I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I mean, we know he's a player they like, right? We know Belichick likes him. Belichick's been been happy with him. He missed some practice time too. So to, to miss some practice time, come in and start. Um, and then, you know, Henry Anderson pushing Henry Anderson to the third and fourth quarter. I thought I you can check it out. I did the, the recap podcast with Bob Sosia on 98.5thesportshub.com. And Bob brought up a good point that Colbert has uh, not Colbert. Sorry. I'm looking at the chat and trying to talk that Henry Anderson has said that, you know, he's still trying to learn the off the defense. He's still trying to pick up the defense, pick up the system. So maybe that's why he played later in the game to just get him those snaps. But uh, that, so there's an explanation for that. There's an explanation for Anderson playing as late as he did. Why, why Spence played as early he is he did. I, I still can't really figure that one out other than they really like him, but we all thought, you know, if there's a sleeper defensive tackle in, in, on this team right now on this roster, it's Carl Davis. Right. And Davis played well. I thought Davis had a good game. But, you know, if you told me Carl Davis started over Henry Anderson and they pushed Henry Anderson back, I'd be like, okay. You know, it, it would make sense. Spence came, like you said, came out of absolutely nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Spence has played 109 career NFL games. So he's a veteran. He's played a ton of games in the league. So maybe they like his experience. There's obviously something about the, the Spence that we don't necessarily see because he hasn't been out there a whole lot in training camp that the coaches like. 
And sometimes the coaches, a lot of the times, the coaches know more than we do. They have all the information. We do not. So, of course, they know more than we do. So I think there could be something like that going on, right, behind the scenes or behind closed doors about Akeem Spence, that he's doing something right, obviously, to get Bill Belichick's attention or Steve's or Gerard Mayo or whatever. But the other element of it is that he hasn't been out there a whole lot in practice. He really hasn't practiced at all. So I wonder if they just kind of threw him out there to see what he had right, and see if he still was able to hang. Because he is, a like I mentioned, he's played 109 career games in the NFL. He's been around forever. Uh, just they haven't really been able to see a ton of him. He hasn't really been able to get a ton of live reps. So somebody like him definitely needs more live reps because Henry Anderson's gotten plenty of live reps, right? I think he missed right. one practice, but he's played plenty of live uh, snaps in training camp. So I, I think that that's an element of it as well. You mentioned Henry Anderson playing late into the game. He played 17 snaps overall, so it's not like he played a ton. It's not like he played 40 snaps in the game or anything like that. But I th- I've thought Henry Anderson's looked great in the in the padded practices. I think he has a good speed to power. I think he's got a nice inside counter move and one-on-ones that we see come out a lot. I think he's got decent physicality against the run. I, I thought he's been a really good player in practice, so I was really surprised to see him out there for that long. You mentioned that maybe is just learning the defense, right, and getting live reps to to get the knowledge of the defense down and, and, and the framework of it down. But I was definitely shocked to see him out there that long. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, I was too, and I, I do. I don't hate Bob's explanation that it, they just he wants more time to get comfortable with the defense and the coaching staff obliged. I don't think that that's too outlandish. I really can't think of anything that makes more sense than that. And again, even if that was the case, he could have had those snaps earlier in the game. So that, that one's a little weird. And that's something to to keep an eye on because I think, you know, going back to Mike Pinnell, we all thought Mike Pinnell was a lot. Right. People talked about him being this great fit. And then uh, I, I remember he did, you know, just from the beginning, it didn't work out. And I don't know that Anderson's there, but we've seen it happen right before defensive tackles. Cause Pinnell is not the only one. I can't think of an, any others. Cody off the top of my head. Cody, Cody Ealy is a good right. one. And, and this has happened a lot at that position in particular with the Patriots, where it just doesn't click with the system. And it's not just guys they've signed. I mean, Mike Pinnell, everybody like knew he was good. The Patriots are going to sign him before they signed him. Henry right. Anderson was the same thing. Even before the Jets cut him, there were people. I mean, like like people who know. I think you were one, and I'm not faulting you for this. Because I don't know. No, I thought Henry Anderson was a fit for them for years. People were saying from the jump, oh, he's going to get cut by the Jets. He's going to sign with the Patriots. Like, this was a guy who was already penciled in as a Patriot before he was a free agent. Pinnell was the same way. I don't remember as much with Coney Ealy, but, you know, because we've seen that before, and I like to say this all the time, Bill Belichick, you do something as long as he has, patterns are going to develop. You look for the patterns. You can kind of start to predict what the Patriots are going to do. Here's a pattern. Let's see how it plays out. The pattern of players, and we can continue to talk about this as we move backwards into the secondary, the pattern of players playing late into preseason games for Bill Belichick always spells not good things for the player, right? Like that, he he is very rhythmic about it like that with, with these guys. The only guy that I can remember that played, don't you remember when Jason McCourty was playing in the fourth quarter? Yeah, that was weird. I do and he did end up making the team, right? And that I thought was weird. And he ended up making the team and ends up having one of the biggest plays of the year in the Super Bowl later that year, right? And and right. it all worked out with Jason McCourty, certainly. But 
when they're playing that late into preseason games, that usually means for Bill Belichick, you're not doing something, you're doing something wrong, right? right? And you're doing something wrong. And it's not like they don't have the depth there where he had to play. Like Bill talked last night about a guy like Juwan Williams had to play more snaps than they wanted him to play just because they didn't have the depth. They didn't have anybody else to put in the game back there. That's not, you know, on the defensive line, they could have put Nick Thurman in, they could have put, you know, uh, any of these guys in. Bill Murray, who did Bill Murray, right. Right. You know, yeah, plenty of bodies there. Right. They had other guys. They didn't need Henry Anderson to take those snaps. Sure. So Bill did say that about Juwan Williams. So maybe this doesn't qualify for him necessarily, but he played right to the final whistle in that game last night. He gave up one catch. I think it was one catch, 18 yards, one for three. Had the pick that was really just a bad throw slash more Mike Jackson's doing. Actually, really more Ronnie Perkins is doing, to be honest, with the pass rush. It was Johnny on the spot, though, on the interception. Kind of good awareness to get his highs back to the quarterback and get the football. Uh, had a pass breakup, technically, on the two-point conversion uh, that failed. So what do you make of Jawan Williams' night? Because it certainly – there was a moment there where he gave up that that chunk play where you said – that's that's the problem, right? That that's the issue we've been talking about. But then he didn't end up having too bad of a night when all things were said and done. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it, and it's interesting because Michael Jackson had that. You know, we had talked about him building momentum, and then Juwan comes out and has this game, the the pass breakup late in the game. That was on the two point conversion, right? That he yeah. had that that pass yeah. breakup. Yeah, so I think um, so. There there was a pass breakup that he got accounted for. I'd ha- I have to go back and he check. He had a couple. He he got yeah. registered for a couple, and I think the one on the two point doesn't actually count in the statute. Okay, right? so maybe it was so maybe it was earlier on. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, Michael Jackson had that momentum. He had the pass breakup. I still think, and this is my big takeaway overall from the cornerback position. I still think they don't know what they're going to do at that spot. And I don't think Michael Jackson or Juwan Williams, you know, you hoped last night one of them was going to come out, have this big game, and kind of start to put that conversation to bed. Williams at the pick, but I didn't think he looked good. He got beat a couple times. And he only got targeted once, but he got beat a couple times. And the telling thing for me was they they put Justin Bethel out there at boundary corner early in the game. Yeah. I mean, this this wasn't late. He actually made body. a really heady play too, Justin Bethel. No, and he was. He was good. So, I so I looked. I looked it up actually. If you'll hang with me for a second here, I'll pull the numbers up. I looked up his historical usage to see the last time he did that, and I just got to scroll through a couple things here. But I will give you the numbers here. They are so uh, uh, twenty fifteen. So he really didn't play defense. He played one hundred and six snaps over three seasons. His first years in Arizona, ten zero ninety six, and then he played four hundred forty two seventy four fifty. That's in each year from 2015 to 2017. So he, you know, he played about a quarter to a half of their of the the Cardinals' defensive snaps during that stretch. Basically, a rotational outside corner, which is what the Patriots need. And then putting him out there last night on a night where a lot of the special teams guys didn't play, Matthew Slater, Brandon Bolden, they're trying to get him ready to play boundary corner. And I don't know that he's the the be all end all answer. It might be more of a break glass in case of emergency thing. He might be the he might be the Johnson Badamosi of this team. Is what I think it's saying. a little more than that. No, I think it's a little more than that. Oh boy, I, I really do. I I hope you're wrong. I I and I'm I, 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 wrong. I'm I don't saying I hope think, you're wrong. Right. I don't think it's 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 obviously not the best answer. But if they can't add somebody externally or Steph's not ready to come back, because remember, even if they, you know, even if what if both if what, both those things don't happen, even if one of those things happens you still need to fill the third cornerback spot. So 
what I saw last night, and it wasn't a ton of snaps. I think he played like 15, 18 snaps, so two, three drives. I think they're, and we've seen it in practice too. He's been out there. I think they're trying to get Justin Bethel ready to play outside corner in case they need him. That's not good. And look, he's fine at it. He's decent at it. I actually, you know, I was kind of surprised when he came here and they didn't use him out there as a depth guy more. I thought he could handle a small role out there in addition to special teams. But they 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 weren't doing it before and they're doing it now. That that indicates to me that something's wrong. Something's wrong because Jawan Williams. Not that, not that he was awful not that last guy. night, like you said. Sorry. Also, Justin Bethel made a really nice play. Uh, early yeah. second quarter, I think it was. Early second quarter, yeah. The quarterback ended up right, scrambling for on a third and one. He ended up scrambling for a first down. But Justin Bethel was falling underneath a vertical corner route, and it was a it was sort of a bootleg action type of play. And the crosser was coming from the backside, and the crosser was open. And the quarterback went to go throw the crosser, and Justin Bethel peeled off the corner route, passed it off to the safety, and jumped the crosser and forced the quarterback to run with the football. And I said, "Oh, that that's a pretty good play by Justin Bethel." You know, you just write those types of things down. We'll see what happens there with that. But Juwan Williams is still, I think, a little bit of an issue. I really liked what Miles Bryant did last night. Yeah, he was a good game. He played a lot of deep middle-of-the-field safety. And the concern that I had with him playing back there was length, right? Because if you're going to play deep safety in the NFL, if you're not absolutely shot out of a cannon sideline to sideline every single time the ball goes up in the air – and you don't have good length to recover and to contest at the catch point and go up and contest the patches uh, passes at the catch point above the rim. It's difficult to be a true center fielder without really at least some length. Uh, you know, I'm talking about right. size, you know, uh, arm length or height, whatever way you want to slice it. So the really good ones are usually somewhat long. Now, some guys, you know, Troy Palomalu wasn't the biggest guy, but he could fly around, right? And, and his play speed was excellent. So, I Miles Bryant certainly not Troy Palomalu, but he played a lot faster at that spot than I thought he could, and that bodes well, right? The play with Kyle Duggar that he made along the right sideline got over there, made the play. That that's the type of play that he's going to have to be able to make. It. I wasn't 100 percent certain he would be able to have the athleticism and the verticality to be able to go up and make that type of play. Well, box checked at least in that instance. And the other thing about playing deep safety specifically for the Patriots, and we talked about this before when I said that I think that you know his future with this team is as a deep safety, not necessarily as a corner. Uh, you brought up the tackling, which is true, and he made a good tack. He made a good tackle last night. It was I think it was a tight end he brought down in the open field, right? Um, that was in the first half, and he, he's brought Ramondre Stevenson down in practice a couple times. I know he's right. small, but I'm not. I'm actually not that worried about Miles Bryant as a tackler, all things considered. He's he's. He should be on this team somehow, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And, and and they should definitely keep him on the team. He's a versatile guy. He can play out. He can play slot. He can play deep. He can play intermediate zone if you want to put him there as well. You got to keep him in the middle of the field, right? You're not going to put him on the outside. He's too undersized for that. But as long as he's playing in the middle of the field, whether it's deep zone, short zone, intermediate zone, or man to man out of the slot against those shifty slot receivers, he's a useful player. And basically right now he's backing up John Jones, but I think he can play a little bit more true safety spots than John Jones does. Uh, They've used Jones a little bit back there just in terms of coverage rotations, just to get a little bit fancy with it. But 
in terms of pure free safety reps. I think Miles Bryant can do it. Is he Deron Harmon? Uh, maybe. Maybe we're going to trend towards Jerron Harmon. He's not there right now, but I think he could get there. Yeah, I I agree. I thought that last night, two pass breakups, uh, played a lot of deep safety, played it well, uh, showed me that he could get sideline to sideline and be able to make those types of plays in the outside and in the boundary, which is really difficult to do from center field. You got to get great reads on the ball. You have to have great closing speed, obviously, and great ball tracking skills. He was able to get it done, and we'll see if he can do it against better competition, but he was able to get it done last night. Really quickly, we'll wrap this up with your boy, Quinn Nordine. What did you think? Because up until the extra point that he missed, right. that was electric. I mean, yeah. he had the 50-yarder. Uh, he was on the money on the 50-yarder right down the middle. Uh, we were Halfway all thinking – kicker competition over right like this is this thing is over let's wrap it up let's send nick folk out uh let's pack the bus and let's keep quentin nordin on this team for the next 10 years he mix, misses the extra point that kind of limited some of the fun right you put, know put just put a some water bit. on the fire yeah there you go bill belichick acted like he didn't know who he was after the game which that was rough and the, the question was a little bit unclear uh, about who he was. The questioner was actually talking about, but it took Bill a minute to realize that they were talking about Quentin Nordeen. And then he said, we'll see what the tape says. And it wasn't exactly glowing. I wouldn't say about Quentin Nordeen, despite the fact that he made a couple of long field goals. I, he was three for three on field goals, right? It was, it was the number three for three on field goals, one for two on extra points. Yeah. So Bill hates that he missed the extra point. That that and, that's definitely uh, I think what we heard about after the game from Bill. Right, and it's 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 worth you know bringing up because it's part of the picture, and and they want reliability above all else. If doesn't matter to them if you can hit sixty yard field goals if you're not going to hit your extra points. So you know the way I look at it, I I, I still thought they were going to try to slide Nordine on the practice squad or Fox Sparrow flew him. And because he, he's probably still a year away working on the accuracy, but you know, Nick Folk doesn't play and, and Nordine comes out last night. And even with the missed extra point with that performance, he's not getting in the practice squad. now. That's the biggest Some, problem, right? Right. What are you, team, you're not going to take You're not going to keep two kickers, obviously. Right. So you, you're in a little bit of a pickle. Yeah, no, and, and some team will use that performance and say that's enough. We feel good going forward with this guy again. Dustin right. Hopkins, 0 for 2 last night. Maybe that team is Washington. And awful, so, awful 0 for 2. It's yeah, really, like two kicks he should have made, yeah. Yeah. Abs- absolutely, you're spot on with that. So it's a real kicker competition right now. They're going to have to pick one. Nick Folt being hurt or whatever. We don't know that he's hurt. He's just not practicing. So whatever is going on with Nick Folk right now is a part of the equation. If he's not ready to go, he's not ready yeah. to go. And maybe they, you know, maybe they cut Folk, IR designate to return Nordine, and then bring Folk back to start the season, something like that, um, it, just to buy Nordine some time. But yeah, it's a full-on kicker competition right now, and this is all because Nick Folk isn't playing. I think if Nick Folk was healthy or able to go last night, they put him out there. Nordine doesn't get a shot. We don't see Nordine at all in the preseason. They bury him on the practice squad, and re- we revisit in 2022. This is why availability is the best ability. This is why people who work in sports are terrified to take days off because Quinn Nordeen came in and he, Tom Brady, Nick Falks, Drew Bledsoe. That's what it looks like he's doing right now. You ever heard of Wally Pitt? Exactly. He's (laughs) not there all the way. The extra point is something they're going to look at. He has to, 
that's his one miss. That's his one right. miss for the preseason, I think, in their eyes. He's got to hit every extra point from here on out, every field goal within 40 from here on out. But if he does, then you're, you're looking at a really tough decision because Nick Falk's a known commodity, and he was very good last year. Kicking right. him a nickel, but he was very good last year. You don't want to lose sight of that, right? You don't want right. to. You can't. It, just a training camp is training camp, and – preseason games it was great to see him go out there and make the three kicks that he made last night but I don't we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Nick Folk was very very good for the Patriots last year but with that being said as you mentioned Alex availability is the best ability and if Nick Folk is legitimately hurt then there's nothing to talk about here right it's it's already over because Nick Folk's not going to be ready for the start of the season or something like that so there's a lot of elements to this, but I definitely don't want to lose sight of the fact that Nick Folk was a very good kicker for the Patriots last year. And you never truly know with a rookie kicker until you get into the season with them. And this is a team that tends to lean more towards veterans too and experience. So you have to factor that in as well. As well, yeah, that, that's a good point. Well, that that about wraps it up there. Uh, a solid hour and 25 minutes plus. Atlas is now sleeping. He finally quieted down, so he, he allowed us to finish out the show here. Tomorrow, Saturday, is an off day for the Patriots. We just heard about that. Sunday is still TBD, but the team is going to be traveling to Philadelphia on Sunday afternoon for joint practices with the Eagles on Monday and Tuesday. I will be in Philadelphia. We'll do shows from Philly as well. And uh, we'll, we're going to do a show on um, on the Sports Hub as well, too. Right, Alex? On, on one of those days out there in Philly? Yeah, yeah there'll be a Sports Hub podcast at some point in there, too. Right. So we'll do the Sports Hub podcast and this podcast, both days in Philly. I'll tell you what I'm seeing out there in Philly. That's going to be a really fun trip. That's going to be a really telling trip. Bill Belichick has said multiple times since the training camp began, joint practices, that word, right? Joint practices. He loves them some joint practices. Loves it and has said it multiple, multiple times. So I think that they're going to put a lot on the plate of these players in these joint practices from Cam to Mac to everybody else. This is going to be the true test, almost more so than the games in a way. I think the true test, uh, because they, even though there's fans out there and the media is out there, the media is not really allowed to report on the schemes and the play designs and the real X's and O's. So I think there's an element in these joint practices that are a little bit more behind closed doors. So you can sort of do some of the things that you wouldn't necessarily want to put on tape in the preseason games. So we're going to be back on Monday. We're going to break down the everything that happened in Philadelphia. So we'll do it Monday afternoon. Sounds like the Eagles hold practice around 10 a.m. to noon. So we'll be on the show around 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, as we usually are. Monday, Tuesday in Philadelphia, uh, preseason game number two on next Thursday. So we'll have you covered all next week, Monday, Tuesday with the practices, Wednesday with the preseason game two preview, Friday with the preseason game two recap. So you can keep it right here on Patriots Beat for all of your Patriots training camp and preseason coverage. And go ahead, Alex, and plug 98.5 The Sports Hub. And yep, full coverage, 98.5thesportshub.com. Myself, Matt Dolliff, having you locked down. We got Doing a great job. podcast daily as well. Video uh, video headlines on Twitter and Instagram. So, 
not only give Alex a follow, but also give Matt a follow. Yeah, both of them absolutely. Des- both of them deserve more followers. So go ahead and find Matt Dolloff on Twitter as well. We love Matt, and he deserves more followers too. I'll put I'll put our uh, our ads in the chat there. There you go. Good idea. Good idea. And obviously, clnsmedia.com, Patriots Press Pass YouTube channel. If you're watching this on Patriots Press Pass and you're not already subscribing to Patriots Press Pass, please subscribe. Please, please, please. I'm not just doing this to annoy you guys. We bring the podcast to you based off of subscribers. The more subscribers the channel gets, the longer we're going to be able to do the podcast for. That's just the way that these things work. So if you're not subscribed already to Patriots Press Pass, press pass woo, please hit that subscribe button. And like I said, Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Monday afternoon uh, after the Philly of uh, day one of Philly joint practices. So we'll see you on Monday. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for watching our content of the six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Please subscribe to my podcast, Patriots Be, on our YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass, or wherever you get your podcasts for a lot more exclusive content right here on the CLS Media Network.